Cheerscast is a part of the Fire and Water Network. Coach, why'd you do this? I told you a hundred times. Please, don't buy anything for the bar without checking with me first. J- J- I'm sorry, Sam. It's salesman. I just couldn't resist him. I mean, he had a way about him. One of those fast talkers, huh? No, 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 no. He's a big, tall, skinny guy, you know, with a beard. Reminded me of somebody in history, uh, a president. The, the, the guy who freed the slaves. Abraham Lincoln? That's it. Only this guy, he, he wasn't nice at all. As a matter of fact, he was kind of mean. He, as he reminded me of that little guy in Germany with a mustache. Adolf Hitler? Boy, don't play trivia with this guy. Coach, you mean this guy was a cross between Abraham Lincoln and Hitler? Normie, I don't know. I just want to tell you, he was strange, Normie. He was all dressed in black, and his eyes shined like coals. And he had this deep voice, see? And he said to me, This scale will not only tell you your weight, but it will tell you your destiny. He had an accent. No. (laughs) Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. Hello and welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm Ryan Daly, and joining me this time to talk about one of our favorite episodes is not one but two returning guests to the show. The first guest is returning from just last week, in fact. He is the co-host of Back to the Bins and other shows on the Two True Freaks Network. Please welcome Mr. Paul Spataro. What's up, Paul? Uh, that's $20 postage due, sir, <laughs> and how are we today? <laughs> <laughs> I love that bit for coming. Uh, The next one is one of the founders of the Fire and Water Podcast Network and a co-host of like 50% of our shows. I like to think of him as the epicenter of the fulcrum, as Cliff (laughs) It's Mr. Rob Kelly. What is up, Rob? Be careful when you guys uh, listen to the show because this podcast will uh, shear your kneecaps right off. (laughs) Folks, we are here to talk about the Season 2 episode, Fortune and Men's Weight. Uh, and the reason Rob and Paul are both here is because they each came to me separately and said this might be their favorite episode of the series, so I couldn't choose just one or the other. I had to have them both. Oh, I think so- it would have been so easy just to leave me out in the cold. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know that my founding of this very network earned me nothing. That's really good to know. <laughs> I mean, I think Paul asked me right before we started the last episode, so it kind of like, I was like, no, you can't be on that one. Paul's like, oh, all of a sudden I'm having Skype issues, gotta go. <laughs> well, well played, Paul, well played. I had to hold the, the episode hostage. There you go. 
All right, uh, Season 2, Episode 17, Fortune and Men's Weight, written by Heidi Perlman, directed by James Burroughs. The original air date was Thursday, February 2nd, 1984. Sam is upset when a large delivery crate to Cheers reveals a coin-operated scale that Coach ordered from a shady salesman. Everyone else in the bar takes a keen interest. However, when they learn the scale doesn't just tell your weight, it dispenses fortunes, too. The gang convinces Norm to check his weight and his fortune before going on a blind date. The scale predicts that all of Norm's problems will soon be over, which seems to come true when the blind date ends up rekindling his marriage to Vera. Carla, already prone to superstition, believes that the scale has magic powers and must be treated delicately, especially when even more customers' fortunes prove to be accurate. Sam is the lone voice of skepticism, unable to even get Diane on his side after the scale spooks her with a cryptic fortune about deception in romance. That night, after everyone else has left the bar, she reveals to Sam how upsetting she found the fortune and confesses that she went on a date with another man and even had him back to her apartment for coffee and a platonic kiss goodnight. Sam, completely blindsided by this admission, accepts that maybe he is not the best boyfriend for Diane and suggests that they break up. Diane pleads with Sam not to dump her in order to disprove the magic scale. And when he takes her back, she breaks up with him. The two of them argue over which one is the dumper and which the dumpy. Sam is so frustrated that he kicks the scale, causing it to dispense one final message. Fearful that the fate of their relationship might be in the fortune, Diane tells Sam to read it. All it says is, the machine is empty and the fortunes must be reordered. So... Uh, another one of these episodes that is hilarious for like the first 80-85% of the show, and then has a pretty heavy ending, um, which I think could be, could be said of some of the best episodes of this series. Um, I mean, one at a time, Paul, big picture, why do you like this episode? Oh, I just think it hits on all cylinders from the opening to... You know, all the way through. Uh, like you said, it does get a little bit heavier towards the end. It ends on, on almost a cliffhanger, uh, you know, not knowing whether they're truly broken up or not. But I just think there's so many little things in this. Obviously, it has the one funniest line ever in the series. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, it's, you know, it's not it's not carried by the one line because it's funny throughout. There's a load of stuff in this one. And it's just one of the ones that has stood out to me over the years. I used to have this, this, by the time we got into the second season, I was setting the timer on my VCR that if I wasn't going to be home, it would record it for me and I'd watch it. And this is one of the episodes that I kept after I had initially recorded it and I watched it multiple times. I just think this is, like I said, I think it hits on all cylinders. I'd have to go through the entire series in order to make this statement with total confidence, but this may very well be my favorite episode in the entire series. Rob, what do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I agree with everything Paul just said, but I, I love it because it feels almost like Cheers has crossed over with the Twilight Zone uh, <laughs> because of this weird machine that comes in and starts to kind of ruin people's lives in a weird way. I love that it is a very, very funny show, and then it takes a hard right turn into something very serious, and which to me is very meta because sometimes you can be that way in a relationship. You know, Everything's going really well, then all of a sudden, wait, how did we end up here? Uh, I think it it has that feeling to it. And as Paul said, it features what I would argue is the single funniest run in the history of Cheers in terms of uh, a series of jokes 
Uh, it's just peerless and for, for many reasons, which we'll get to. Yeah, and um, I, I don't really feel like burying the lead anymore, so I think we should just jump right ahead to that scene. In fact, I'll probably play a clip of that scene uh, right mm. here just so we can get to it. But the setup is after they figured out like the, this thing, Cliff has taken a fall down the down the steps to chairs and everything. Cliff has some amazing physical comedy beats in this episode. That's just like yeah, I, really, I have that note too. That yeah, that, yeah. that was just an incredible bit of physical comedy, and he's also got some great lines in this one. Yeah. So yeah, it's. It's definitely a, a cliff highlight reel in this one. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so then he's down there, and they're trying to figure out, like, why is he falling? He's having such a bad look. And, and Carla, of course, you know, at this point, she's convinced that this the scale is an accurate predictor. And she's like, what, what did your fortune say? And he says his fortune was, talk to bigwigs. And she gets this burst of inspiration of what that means. And she asks them, she's like, Who? I'm starting to laugh already. <laughs> she's, and you got to imagine, like, the whole gang is seated there. And she's like, who is the biggest bigwig of them all? Oh, wait, wait, I got it. Bigwig, right? Who is the biggest bigwig of them all? Sinatra. <laughs> no. Even bigger. Ronald Reagan. No, 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 bigger, bigger. Sinatra. <laughs> and out of nowhere, this voice from the back of the bar that we've never heard before. He's in a lot of episodes, but we've never heard him before. This wrinkly, baby-faced Al Rosen from the back just shouts out, Sinatra! <laughs> <laughs> it just like kills the room. They're like, "What?" And everybody just kind of looks back. Like you would almost like you would almost think that that line was scripted, but it almost it catches somebody off guard like that that they almost didn't see it coming. And Carla's like, "No, no, no, it's not Sinatra and everything." She's like, "Who else?" And they're like, "Well, you know, Ronald Reagan, big oil companies. They're talking like throwing us bigger, yeah, bigger, bigger." And he hits it again, the same time. Sinatra! <laughs> and I think the second time is where it really hits home that I was just hysterical laughing. And and you're not the only one, because you can tell Ted Danson has to cover his mouth with his coffee yes. mug. He yes, that's and my you favorite see, part! <laughs> you, see the, you see it on Cliff's face and, and on Carla's, too. They're both like, oh my god, this is really funny. Like, they're looking at it. Like, like maybe maybe the second time wasn't scripted or something like that. And he just shouted it again, and they left that in. Oh, it's so priceless. And then they even followed up again with, like, you know, like, who runs the country? It's, like, Big Oil or something. And, and Coach is like, well, my station, it's Herbie and his son Dave. And my moon <laughs> does the windows. <laughs> So just, oh, it's hard to get bigger than Herbie, Dave, and Mahmoud. <laughs> so, um, but that scene also shows just it takes to me that scene takes it a little out of the Twilight Zone because I think up until then, Rob, you were one hundred percent right that it is starting to get a Twilight Zone feel. But then, you know, Carla is so grasping at straws to try and connect Cliff's falling down the stairs with the fortune that I think it, you know, now it turns it back into the comedy. And, and uh, like as I was saying, like this was Al Rosen's first speaking part. I actually had for my little known fact in this. Um, after this episode, the writers would refer to his character as the man who said Sinatra in their scripts <laughs> and notes. <laughs> so whenever he does have lines later on in the series, they refer to him as the man who said Sinatra. Yeah, I looked him up, and it seems he became. And I know, I was unaware of this, but it seems he became a background player on Night Court, which I assume is similar producers yeah yeah i would think so uh reinhold ouija i think was the the 
but yeah, I'm sure he's probably just on the set and did did some of the same stuff. So I, I'm fascinated by the idea that, like, you know, because as you said, Ryan, he was on the show before as a background person. And were they just waiting for the right moment to give him a line, or did it occur to them? You know what I mean? Because it's like that's what that's what makes it so perfect is that it's somebody talking who we've never heard before. And it's just, and again, the reaction is so great. And of course, you look at someone like Al Rosen, you're like, well, of course he thinks Sinatra is the biggest thing ever because he's that generation. I mean, of course. But it's like, I just wonder, did, 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 did every week, did they want to give Al something? And they were just like, no, nah, that's not right. And then they finally came up with it. It is just, I laugh at it every single time. Like, I never heard it before because it's just, it's just such a burst. Sinatra! I mean, you just can't believe it's so perfectly delivered. And now I've taken to focusing on his face in the background when he does it. He's got this huge grin on his face as he's doing it. So he must have just been like walking on air that they gave him that line. Yeah, and, and that's one of those things where I think of like maybe he was just like supposed to be another background bit player, and like maybe just from talking to him on the set, they just thought he was a kind of a colorful, funny character, and they're like, let's give him something to do and everything, because they, they'll sort of repeat that with the character of Phil later on towards the second half of the series. He's another older guy who's just sitting in the back, who is around a lot, but only gets lines like every 10th episode or something like that but i I don't know what writer came up with that line but whoever it is it should lead off his resume (laughs) yeah i i I find it hard to believe that it wasn't scripted because cheers was so beautifully written but man their their reaction certainly makes it look like it was it was unscripted because ted danson looks like he's gonna lose it i mean and you do you literally see him chuckle and it's fantastic because he had just happens to have that mug uh, to cover his face, it's the perfect prop. Uh, it looks genuine. Oh man, it's that's oh god, it's so perfect. <laughs> I'm I'm thinking that if anything is impromptu, it may be what Ryan said, and maybe the second time he says it was not planned, and he just threw it out there because that seems like something I could see happening. Yeah, or or they were multiple cuts of the same thing, and just they just thought it was so funny that they just threw it in twice in the editing. I don't know. I can't. I can't imagine. I mean, if it was Heidi Perlman's joke, bless her. If it was like one of the other writers or staffers, then yeah, you're right. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, that should go on on their like like highlight reel. But okay, getting back to the rest of the episode proper. Um, the teaser for this one is sort of like one of those teasers that leads right into the episode, and you kind of wonder if it was just running long and they kind of chopped it up. But uh, it starts off with Norm coming in. He tells the gang that he's got this blind date, and everybody's foretelling disaster. And, you know, he's like, yeah, you know, my friend talked her up and everything. And Cliff is like, oh, yeah, let me guess. Uh, she's got good table manners and excellent posture. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I think you could be 100% right on that because one of my notes was it's a good setup. But the actual punchline that leads into the song, the intro song, is one of the weaker jokes in the episode. Yeah. And if it, if it had just flowed along and that line was in there and it was just part of the scene, not the closing moment of the scene, it would have been fine. But to make that the punchline, it lacked a little bit of kick. I think, what does it call us? It's like you're a dead man or something right, like right. that. Uh so I think you might be on the money that it might have been running long. So they eliminated the opening and made, you know, just kind of moved that up a little bit and then cut it into it. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Cause that was my same note. Like it, it felt like the, the punchline that you would get right before it wasn't as strong. Wasn't, didn't generate as much of a laugh. Um, because then as soon as the credits are over, you get boom, the door opens and these two guys deliver a crate. Um, the delivery men, 
Uh, one is played by Alan Fine, and the other, Charles Champion. I didn't see anything really of note on theirs. Um, but yeah, once once they bring in this crate, then you get this whole thing with Coach and trying to describe the salesman. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I, I was. It was that salesman, you know. He talked me into this, and it was like he he reminded me of that really tall guy from history. I think he was a president. Seems like Abraham Lincoln. He's like, yeah, but he was really mean. He reminded me of that guy from Germany with the mustache, like Adolf Hitler. <laughs> he's like, it's like you telling me the salesman was a cross between Abraham Lincoln and Adolf Hitler. And uh, don't play trivia with this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Coach is so impressed that Sam is able to pick these names out because of this. Um, and then, of course, I does, love the accent. Yeah, he does. The, the scales will not only tell you your weight, it will tell you your fortune. He's like, he has an accent. He's like, no. <laughs> he's like, and Carl's asking, she's like, why did you say that way? He's like, just for a little color. <laughs> <laughs> I have to wonder, going back to the thing with the, the blind date, like is generationally, is there a point where there are people below a certain age have no idea what a blind date is, like what that concept is? Because everyone's on social media now. Like, you know what I mean? Like blind, would I go on a date with someone I haven't seen? That's impossible. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah now you'd it's not a thing anymore. Yeah, you'd, you'd have like a Facebook introduction or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you, they, the kids do like Facebook stalking and social media stalking. Like they, before they even initiate contract, the contact, they've got like the entire profile on all of their different social media. So yeah, no, I, I couldn't imagine something like that. I think the only way you could do that now is like a surprise blind date. Like, you th- oh, you know, you and Kelly are talking and you say, oh, these two would be perfect for each other. Let's invite them both over at the same time and not say anything. You know, like <laughs> kind of an unplanned blind date. That sounds like a plot of a sitcom, to be honest <laughs> with you. It does. It does. It, it, it could be what's his name? Who was the, uh, the, the, the murderer that Sam fixed up Diane with? Oh, Andy Andy. Andy Andy. Andy, Andy. That's <laughs> oh, yeah. That would be perfect, yeah. Um, I, I love when uh, Coach is doing the accent. You actually see Diane laughing in the background, like she's cracking up at like the sound of this. Like this is this must. They had so much fun on the set of this episode because you can tell they're laughing at each other. She's adorable in this one. I love when she's begging him to keep the machine. Can we keep it? Oh, goody! Like I, <laughs> I love. Yeah. She was such a. Well, I mean, we've talked about this for every episode I've been on, Ryan. But like. Shelley Long was so well-rounded with that character is that Diane wasn't just a stick in the mud. She could be girlish and like kind of coquettish mm-hmm. and really cute. And that's what – you could see why – that's why Sam would be so in love with her because she had all those sides to her. I love that she goes along with the, the spirit of it. I think that's really cute as opposed to just – she doesn't just dismiss it. She she wants it there because it adds some color, which I really like. Yeah, yeah, the literary type of her would like would find that just kind of as an interesting piece of color for the bar and just yeah, yeah. a little bit of trivia, yeah. I, I like when she says, you know, I'm sure this will be worth the price you paid for until Sam actually shows her the invoice and she's like, or a fraction thereof. <laughs> I, I thought the timing on that was terrific. Yeah, I, yeah. Just the way, she, the way she looked at it and then shot back with that line. I thought that was really good. That was one of my notes here. Why does Sam even allow Coach anywhere near the checkbook? <laughs> <laughs> He did. What was the – oh, way back in the first season, it was like a, in episode three or something, Coach ordered the napkins that had, yes, were supposed to be trivia right. napkins that just had like stupid jokes on them or something like that. And, oh, I yeah. forgot to mention yeah. the, the, where they get the name of the, this episode, the title. It's from Shakespeare. What's the Shakespeare reference? It's uh, there's a quote about something from Fortunes in Men's Eyes and then later on it was a uh, a movie. 
uh, it was a play and then it was a movie. Uh, but it's from a it's it's some line from Shakespeare, which is where it's fortunes in men's eyes. And then, of course, they changed it for fortunes in men's weight. But I mean, that's that's an unusual title. I remember when I first heard the episode's title, I was like, what is what does that even mean? Uh, and yeah, it's from Shakespeare. So getting back to Cliff and like just some of the brothers, when they first like they get the crate delivered and everything and he's they're like having Norm open the crate or whatever. And he's like, hang on, I don't want to get, you know, pit stains before my date. And they take his back <laughs> off and just horrible like just huge just like pit stains underneath them and cliff's line is don't worry we'll stop you before your shoes get squishy <laughs> I've, I've used that one many times nice actually. nice uh and then yeah when cliff is like just circling the crate and everything and he has that line he, he points to one corner he's like yeah just knock on this one that's the epicenter of the fulcrum <laughs> <laughs> and then this beautiful like the the first like physical gag with him when he's standing around the other side of the crate warning Diane like to back up when you when you said otherwise they'll share kneecaps off. And Norm hits the hits the crate just this one corner with a screwdriver and everything and the back side of the crate just falls and nails Cliff right in the head. <laughs> I, I can't find my shoes Clyde. I think the dog got him. <laughs> yeah, just, just that physical bit just boom and everybody's like Whoa! <laughs> he just responds to it. I love that bit. I love it so much. And, and yeah, his his concussion syndrome or whatever when he walks. Because then he has the same thing after he takes the fall down the stairs when he comes out, and he's like reacting as if a dog is attacking him. Like he's practicing his his leg moves, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm fine." <laughs> or yeah, when he's actually yeah, as he's physically with miming with his hands, putting mail into slots. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, because he's like bent over, or whatever, holding onto his head, and he's like, "Yeah, I, I bumped my knee." And he's like, well, the "Wrong part." Once we get to the second part, I like that how Sam uh, is calling the, fl- the flower shop Sanderson Florist because uh, he's got to make send apology flowers to Diane for blowing her off at this uh, gala event or something the, at the museum. And then when she comes in and she gives him a big kiss, and he's still on the phone with them, and he's like, "You keep up the good work." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sam, you know, to this point, because we do get to this at the end when it gets serious, but to this point in the show, it seems to me, and maybe, you know, you can correct me because you've been watching much closer than I do. It seems to me like Sam has really bent over backwards in their relationship to kind of go with her to things that he normally wouldn't, even though he hates them. Yeah, no, yeah, that's... that's so I, I kind of feel, you know, right off the bat that, that, that Diane's being a little unfair to him because, you know, he has made the effort. Yeah, no, yeah, he definitely has, and um, wh- yeah, once we get to the big, hit, the big blow up towards the end, I mean, we'll, we'll have more to say about that because, like, yeah, the nature of the relationship. This one comes a little bit of a, of a shock because you would think that of the character. I mean, we've seen we've seen it before in this episode when they've had the opportunities to be unfaithful, or and and they've come close. Um, Sam like went off with another woman when Dave came back and like kind of like shoved this this you know stewardess on him, and he went back to the hotel with her and he he almost stopped. And Diane is not innocent herself. She lied to Sam about Sumner when he came back, and and she was definitely blindsided. So we have seen that these two. It's hard for them to stay together. It's it's hard for them to to connect. So I, I mean it seems like it would have been a little bit of a surprise when Diane admits that she went on a date with another guy that she asked somebody else to go to this this uh, art gala thing and that she see, had I could, I could see her doing that, 
but I think she, you know, the, the personality we've seen so far, and even Sam's perception of her, that she's so honest, that she would have told him up front, okay, you don't want to go, there's a student in my class that I'll, you know, another a fellow student in my class that I'll go with. Uh, like, I, I wouldn't expect her to treat it as a secret that she'd have to keep behind his back. I'm, I'm a little, I think, I feel like it's a little bit out of character on both ends there, you know, that Sam has been willing to go with her to, to most things, so I would think she would appreciate that, and she's usually pretty honest about things, so I would have thought she would just fess up to it, because she's saying she didn't think it was a serious date, it was a platonic thing. It makes me wonder uh, where they are in their relationship, because I got the sense that they were, like, together all the time, but they're clearly at a point where Diane can, like, go out for the evening and kind of not tell Sam where she's going and I don't mean that in, in a possessive way but you know what I mean like at a certain point when you've been involved with someone for so long you kind of can't you kind of don't do the whole well I'm busy tonight well, wait a minute you're not bit wait a minute you know like you kind of tell people oh yeah I'm I I can't come over tonight because I'm doing this thing but the fact that she kind of went off and did this on her own makes me feel like that they're maybe not as regularly dating as I assumed because I thought they seemed like they were like totally like you know exclusive and seeing each other all the time but the way she kind of had a whole evening without him makes me think oh maybe they're not quite as tight as uh, as the show at least i took it uh, for them to be. well I, I took it as he blew her off for this event but he knew she was still going she he just didn't know she was oh going all right i didn't even think about that okay yeah that's that's how i took it and i, I mean i could have explained it love like i mean it seems crazy to think about their their work schedules because it doesn't make any sense but like if he was working that night and she had the night off or something like that like where she went out um but yeah yeah i kind of i took it the same way that he he knew she was going to this thing and he just didn't want to go with her so he assumed she was going alone okay all right that makes sense um okay yeah so then i mean we can just then getting into the whole fight of it um at first when she wanted to break up with him for a long time, I mean, I've seen this episode many, many times, and I always thought it was kind of weird. It, it didn't. It kind of rang a little bit false when he, you know, kind of like says, you know, of course we didn't break up, and he kind of like brings her back, and then she is quick. To, she's like, no, I say we're through, and everything like that. And that used to ring true to me, or used to ring false to me. But watching it again and thinking about it more, and thinking about like what we've discovered from her character over the last, you know, couple episodes as I've been. As I've been going through this for two seasons, I think there are a number of reasons why it works. Her guilt, for one thing, she says that she confessed to assuage her guilt when that's not enough for him, and and I think she's just she's mad. She wants to break up so that he looks like the one who is wrong and unreasonable, and that'll make her feel better and like put her more in the right. Um, we also see that she is a hypocrite, kind of naturally sometimes. Um, and as much as she gives Sam grief for his womanizing, she is just as likely to fall for someone else who has more of her own interests, like Sumner and this classmate. And I also think there's a little bit of her pride in the fact that she can't accept a guy like Sam dumping her. That I think part of her still kind of feels like she's slumming in this relationship, that she can do better than him. And if it's going to end, she's the one who's going to end it. So I think all of those things kind of like go into the fact that why when she convinces Sam to take her back, then she throws it back in his face in this kind of cruel and sophomoric fashion. But it was also like masterfully manipulative. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, just just the way she she turns on a dime with the uh, you know being upset and all of that, and then as soon as he's 
you know, assured her that he hasn't broken up with her. Good. <laughs> and she shoves him away. <laughs> it's disturbing and funny at the same time. We talked about this on the last episode I was on. I don't remember the title of it, but the one where they had to come up with the letters as to why they're together. And we it's like this show was so unafraid to really, if you're paying attention, layer in the idea that these two do not belong together, even though that's the main thrust of the show. They at this stage of their relationship, they're already kind of like going out of their way to be mean to one another. I mean, with the way that she manipulates Sam just so she can say then I dumped you first is so kind of nasty and childish that you're really like these two just don't belong together. I mean, the, the, the way TV shows are constructed, we expect them to be together, but they really don't belong together because they're not good for one another. They, they, they're good for one another in, 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 in small ways, but they really just they're already kind of in this very vituperative kind of discourse. And you're just like, that's just you two should really just not be together. You know, I'm I'm thinking about that a little bit, Rob, as you're talking about it, and it occurs to me, like, I, you know, you think about the sexual tension between lead characters in shows, and I think the prime example of a time where they got together and then all of a sudden the show started to not be as good is Moonlighting. And I think here they kind of circumvented that potential problem by having them, even when they're together, clearly not belong together. They didn't get together and live happily ever after and have this idyllic sitcom relationship. They they got together and it was a tumultuous thing where, as you say, they clearly didn't belong together. And I think that's maybe why the show continued to work. Yeah, it could be. I mean, it, it wasn't all just like Sam's the dumb guy and he can't figure out that she's good for him. It's like she's got her own stuff that would make you want to strangle her with that stuff. I mean, she's so mean like to Andy, him and that... <laughs> like Andy, yeah, exactly. Like Andy, but she's when she turns on him in this episode just to say, I dumped you first, you're like, oh man, that is just like no wonder Sam would be driven crazy by that. Jeez. But I also think, I mean, going to the very end of it and kind of like this horrible, ambiguous ending, not horrible as a, a statement of the quality, but what it means for them is. Diane doesn't know what she wants. I mean, she's she's not confident in her decision-making. She's a hooker because as soon as she hears that ding from the scale, she's looking for a sign, some obvious message that she should stay with Sam or leave him so she doesn't have to do the hard work herself and actually make this uh, this change. She wants to basically be told what their relationship is by the end of it. And... And I think that's that's the gut punch of it is that they're they're not going to get a sign. They're going to have to do the hard work of staying together or breaking up, and it's it's going to be long and it's going to be painful. We also have really haven't mentioned Carla to this point, and it, you know I mean she's really the only one that believes in this that this thing is like a you know a voodoo uh, you know fortune machine. And of course I love that uh, you know Diane is like you know poo-pooing it like oh come on Carl you're being and then of course we see early on that she's buying into it she even does the little <laughs> sound effect to, I have to... a great great little piece of trivia for you on that alright go ahead I, I always get a kick out of that little <laughs> thing that she does I was watching now this could be real trivia or this could be just my perception but I was watching and if you remember the first time I was on this show Ryan I compared it as a uh, kind of a continuation of the same kind of comedy that we got in Taxi. Mm-hmm. And in real life, Carla, Rhea Perlman's husband, was a major player on Taxi. There was an episode called Jim the Psychic, if you will recall this. And I only saw it, I saw it again a couple of weeks ago, which is why it's fresh in my mind. And Jim makes this 
prediction that Alex is going to come to this horrible end. And it's this whole, whole convoluted thing about uh, he's going to put on a catcher's mask and do the can-can and drink water fast. And somebody's going to mistake him for a girl. And then the doorbell's going to ring. And, oh, my God, it's horrible. Louis believes that Jim has this gift. <laughs> And in response to it, he he says, let me ward off the evil spirits for you to Alex. And he goes, (laughs) (laughs) now, I don't know if they consciously repeated the same thing or if it's just by chance. Something that Ray Kevin and Danny DeVito know, like like the inside joke between them. That would be. Or even the series writers said, hey, why don't we have her do what, you know, what her husband did in that other episode. But I think they had to be aware of that. Yeah, I would think that seems so specific, yeah. That's fantastic. That's good. <laughs> Taxi's part of the Cheers universe now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I love that. Yeah, and, and I really, I like the part when, after Diane has sort of been, like, bamboozled by this, and she's sucking, and she's she's feeling nervous, and Sam is the lone voice of reason. He's the lone voice who's basically trying to convince everybody there's no such thing as magic or fate. Cliff, actually, I like this, Cliff points out a uh, reference to a season one episode when he's like, back when you were pitching, you had a lucky charm. And Sam is like, it didn't, yeah, a lot of good it did me. He's like, the and he has this line, he's like, the only battles I ever won, I won on my own. And Diana's like, oh, that's brilliantly said. He's like, well, you know, you, you told me that a while, like a couple weeks ago. And she's like, yes, but I'm impressed that you remembered it and you used it in the proper context. And, but later on when he's like, you know, you guys are, you guys are, you know, acting really, you guys are acting dumb for believing in this stuff. He's like, here, listen to Diane. Diane will, will show you how dumb you're being. And she's just completely out of her mind, like with guilt at this point. And she's just like, you're being dumb. And she walks down the hallway. And Sam just looks at the, the gang and he's like, well, was that enough for you? Did you? It's like, was that enough of a tongue lashing? That little quote of Sam's that he, where he's quoting Diane would really fit in that little book of quotations she was writing <laughs> yeah. in that other episode where he yes. desperately wanted to get into that book. Yeah, yeah, your book, yeah. Um, gosh, yeah. Um, I, I mean, you know, there's a the point where we could basically just start quoting the whole show, but... Um, I will say the one thing I am disappointed with this episode, and it's not this episode, it's subsequent episodes, is that we don't see this thing again. I, I mean, I really wish that they had just put this somewhere in the bar and left it there and it would be like a permanent prop. Uh, I mean, you didn't have to, like, you know, put the audio in where people are still using it. But I just would have thought it would have. I mean, there was so much set deck on that bar. You really could have put it like in the back room in the pool. I think that would have been cool if we had just seen it for 10 more years. That would have been cool. Yeah, I think so. Just just like uh, Tecumseh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I would have loved that. It's like it would always make you recall, like, oh yeah, there was that episode a bunch of years ago. It was like it would have been really neat. Anything else before we go into our highlights? Well, first, I just I like the scene when Norm comes in and wants to set up the entire bar. (laughs) But of course, since that's financially impossible, I'll just buy a drink for my friend Cliffy here. Yeah, that's good. Good. We did not mention another fantastic line, and maybe this is one of your each one of yours a favorite line. But the uh, uh, well, uh, me and Vera went back to the house, and <laughs> yeah. uh, we kind of kind of made love. You what do you need? You can't kind of make love. Well, you don't know Vera. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was on my list. That was one of my. Oh, uh, yeah. that's so good. <laughs> uh, you, can't, you can't kind of make love. No reason. Yeah, you don't know Vera. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Um, yeah. We, for, we also, also just. Uh, a little foreshadow to me of Diane, you know, her, her her darker side is I feel like she drops down to Carla's level a little bit in a good way. Uh, when 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 Carla says, uh, yeah, how are you going to explain that? 
Easy. You're an idiot. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah. Oh, 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 I'm glad you mentioned that, Paul. Did you guys notice in that moment somebody bumps the camera and they no, left it in? That? Yes. After, after I've watched this like a million times and oh, I never saw it. Oh my god. That. I couldn't. I was. I had this in my notes, and I just forgot. Okay, in that moment where the the the, the camera is shooting, you know, where it normally is, and it's slightly tilted so you can see the corner of the bar. And when Diane says to to Carla, "You're an idiot," and then she walks past Carla and puts her her tray down on the bar, you see the camera shake, like huh. visibly shake up and down. And I'm like, somebody bumped the camera and they left it in. And I'm huh. like, they must have just been happy with that take. Uh, because there's no way you didn't notice it because I watched I was like, whoa, what just happened there? And I went back and rewinded it. I'm like, oh yeah, there it is. Somebody literally bumps the camera in that in that point in that uh, in that moment. I don't think I noticed wow, that. Wow, I'm gonna have to watch it again. There you go. Okay. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> now an- another line that I, I I like and I've used on occasion, which is not my home run, and hopefully I'm not taking anything from you guys, but I just don't want to let things slip by and not mention certain things, uh, is when, when Sam asks, did you grind the beans? Okay. <laughs> I'll come back to that one, yeah. I didn't grind them fine. <laughs> not, not like with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we're jumping at each other's home runs, so let's, uh, let's get to the superlatives then. Uh, for the uh, for Norm's tab, I calculated him having three beers this episode, which brings him up to 176 for the series. So will will he make it to 200 by the end of the season? We shall see. <laughs> uh, for the employee of the week, this was a tough one. But uh, Rob, who did you think? I, I have to go with Coach for buying this cockamamie thing. <laughs> and uh, my favorite part of the – well, outside of Sinatra, of course. But my favorite part of the episode is the story that they conjure with this whole notion that there was this guy who sounded like and sort of looked like a cross between Lincoln and Hitler. Because it makes me makes me wonder, was no one else in the bar when this guy came in? I mean, <laughs> we, we, we've already established that the, the, the Cheers staff – the Cheers bar is very – very uh, scantily uh, staffed at different times. I mean, there's there's points where clearly at least three of the four people are not there. But I have to wonder, did no one else in the bar see this guy? So when did this guy come in? And, and then it makes me think, maybe it was like at nine in the morning, right as they open, and this guy just sold the thing to coach and then skedaddled out or something. But I would, I just, to me, the, there's a whole story there that I love that just this, this, Tight, tight, you know, a combination of Hitler and Lincoln, and no one else really seemed to notice him. I love that. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. And and is that even like? Can you even rely on Coach's estimate of what this guy looked and acted like? I mean, yeah, that too. Right. I mean, Coach would be completely remembering it wrong. Yeah, yeah, it's possible. Paul, who did you have? Oh, uh, you know what? This was really, really tough because I'll, I'll tell you. You know, I was taking notes as I'm watching it, and I changed my. Uh, my my MVP like four times. Uh, ultimately, I landed on Cliff because I just felt like he he had so many zingers in this, and he had the physical comedy. You know, he was the standout among standouts. Yeah, yeah. I and I had both Cliff and Coach as runner up, so I'll I'll play the safe one and just go with Diane yet again, um, just because <laughs> her both her comedic efforts and also the the dramatic ones towards the end, her reactions, the physical expressions, her guilty poker face when she actually does start to feel like the 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 fortune uh the the scale is is actually coming true that her version of the spitting the hex on the scale which is not mm-hmm. the same as carla's but yeah i just but yeah i yeah i easily could have gone with cliff or coach in that one too so 
Uh, okay, so for home runs, assuming every, assuming all three of us and pretty much anybody who ever watches this episode is going to say Sinatra. <laughs> that is like the the home run for all time. That is the grand slam. Uh, beyond yeah, well, that, I, as, as I said to yeah. you guys, I, I call that one the shot heard around the world, which yeah. is. Uh, if you're familiar with baseball, I don't know if you guys are. That's uh, the precursor to the chant to the to the announcement of the Giants win the pennant. The Giants, Giants win, win the, the pennant, pennant, which I'm sure you've heard a million times. Bobby Thompson. Bobby Thompson hit the home run off Ralph Branca. That's a shot heard around the world. So that to me, that's what this line was. Uh, okay, so Rob, what are what is one of your other home runs? I uh, again, this is something else that we talked about in other episodes, but I like it when sitcoms aren't afraid to get serious. And uh, I, I will have to give the credit to Heidi Perlman because she's the credited writer. I think this has one of the most brilliant endings of any Cheers episode of just because, you know, it's like, oh, my what's this fortune going to say? And then to leave it on that cliffhangery kind of thing of just. You know, I and then for them to just go right to credits like that, I think it's brilliant. So just I and I love um, Ted Danson's delivery, just the way he doesn't oversell it. He doesn't. Uh, we'll, we can. We'll talk. We'll, I'll talk about this if I get to be on that episode later on. The Semenko one, uh, which features one of the great final lines of any episode delivered by Ted Danson. But just I love the way he reads it. He doesn't put any spin on it. He just says it. You know, for machine empty. Order more fortunes today. And they're both just. Like, I would love to know what happened. Like, you know, you've ever seen those, like, comic book things, like, you know, the five minutes later things of, like, after famous battles in superhero comics. I want to see what happened to Sam and Diane right after that. Did they just go home? Did they, like, what happened? And so, to me, it's, I, I TV is not supposed to be um, ambiguous. That is, like, a death in television. Uh, and I love how ambiguous that ending is. So, I just, I think that line is classic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Co-sign everything you said. Paul, what did you think? As I told you earlier, I picked three just in case you guys had uh, – because <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to have at least one to myself. Uh, but I, we did already discuss my, my home run line, and this was uh, – we'll stop you before your shoes get squishy. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Um, yeah, I, I had a couple of other ones, and – but the one that like it keeps coming back to me, yeah, it's it's such a powerful reading from Sam, is when she tells him that she they went upstairs and they just had coffee, and he's kind of like uh huh uh huh. He's like, instant coffee, or <laughs> did you grind the beans? And the way he says it, and he kind of does this hand gesture, like to make a sexual entendre of grinding coffee beans and everything. The <laughs> salacious way that he enunciates the words. There's. Like there's this real note of judgment and scorn when he says it, that just like the, to make this an, like uh, a metaphor that I just I love it. It's so con- like condemning and and oh, I just love that. Did you grind the beans? <laughs> and and, and, yeah, and she, she picks up on it she, immediately. She's she like, immediately knows grind- what he's saying. Yeah, she's like, I it wasn't the same with you. I didn't grind them fine. <laughs> and he's like, but you oh, did man. grind the beans. What oh, the hell man. are we talking about now? <laughs> exactly. I just, I, that whole thing, the way he says grind the beans, I love it. I love it. So, uh, Paul, what was one of your others? Well, the the other two I had were, uh, he had an accent? No. <laughs> I, I, I love that. Especially because I'm so immersed in it when he starts, this machine will not only tell you your weight, it will tell you just that. So I'm, I'm totally like taken in by that. And then he just dismisses it 
like out of hand. Yeah. And I just love that delivery. And then the third one uh, was, uh, well, I'm overweight, unemployed, separated, <laughs> depressed, starting to drink too much. Overall, I guess my biggest problem is I've never been happier. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, there was one more coachism that I really liked in this one. It was when um, they actually get a line from one of their other tertiary guys, uh, the character Greg, who was played by Tim Cunningham. He's like, you know, my fortune, I got a fortune too. And he says, it said something like, my I, uh, my valuables are in danger. And he's like, here, I left in my wallet. And he goes through his jacket. He's like, he's like, I lost my wallet. And Carla screams. She shrieks out because she thinks it's come true. And Coach is like, Carla, come on, calm down. He'll owe you the tip. <laughs> But I'm bum bum. <laughs> oh yeah, gosh, a, a wonderful episode. Um, I encourage. Hopefully, people are watching these episodes as they are listening to the show, and we've given them another reason to go back and watch this yeah again uh, to see the camera shake, as Rob pointed out. So. <laughs> uh, Rob, where else can people find you on the podcastosphere? Oh, good lord! All over the <laughs> all over the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Uh, pretty much uh, any given, well, especially Saturdays. Really, Saturday's my big day, so you'll find what I do pretty much all over the network. And I, I'm all- waiting. I'm waiting for you to start Pod Sinatra now. <laughs> I, you know, I, you know what the uh, you know what the opening would have to be at this point. <laughs> you know, Bob Dylan did a bunch of Sinatra cover albums, so maybe there's a maybe there's a crossover here that I'm 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 blowing by. <laughs> I should think about this a little more. Yeah, I think I think you're onto something. Maybe a little offshoot of Pod Dylan. Pod Sinatra. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I can be found on the uh, Two True Freaks Network, where I am the host or co-host of Is It Yours, Back to the Bins, and Listen to the Prophets. All right. Thank you very much, both Rob and Paul, for being on the show. Thank you, as always, to our listeners for tuning in. You know, you can support the show by liking and sharing on Facebook and Twitter. You can also leave a comment on the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. The Fire and Water Podcast Network is also on Patreon, and special thanks to all of our patrons over there, with an extra special shout-out to Mike Gillis from Radio vs. the Martians and Rick Heineken from Jeff and Rick Present Unpacking the Power of the Power Pack, who both sponsor this show. For more information on how you can support the network in general or this podcast in particular, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and until next time... Sinatra! Remember that fortune I got today? No. Deception in romance proves costly. So? I took another man to that show last night. You mean like a guy? (laughs) At least pay attention. He's a classmate of mine, a male classmate. Well, so you took some pimply, book-faced woman from school. Big deal. His complexion is almost as clear as mine, and we had a wonderful time. At the performance? Yes. Well, of course he took me home. Uh Uh-huh. And? I invited him in. We had coffee. He left. That was it. Instant coffee, or, uh, (laughs) to grind the beans. It wasn't the same as it is with you. I didn't grind them fine.